five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Hussam. Join us again, my wonderful co-host, Lewis. Once again, as we say every time, it's been a long time. It's been two months since we last recorded. Um, well, you had a very busy May, and I had a very busy yes. June, Lewis. We did. Um, your, your May was a lot more interesting than my June. What, what were you up to in May? Tell me what happened in your May. Well, I I was lucky enough to live in the Eurovision host city, which may not sound much to many people, especially not necessarily the demographic of our podcast, but it's sad, a major thing in my man. life. That's the demographic <laughs> of our podcast, sad, lonely man. And that, but living in the Eurovision host city was absolutely incredible. And then almost immediately after that, I went to see Beyonce in Cardiff, which again, let's fucking go. One of the most incredible, like I've been saying for ages now, May 2023, that is going to go down in the history books of my life. One of the best months of my life. Eurovision, not just Eurovision, not just we hosted Eurovision, not just I was in the Eurovision host city, I lived in the Eurovision host city. I felt the build up to Eurovision. Me, 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 me. It was incredible. It was incredible. And then Beyonce. <clears throat> and yeah. then and then just life. And then your June was really busy and just as interesting. Yeah, it wasn't really so interesting. Um, yeah, I moved. I moved job. I moved house. I'm back in Ely now. Uh, which means that, unfortunately, it's going to be a little bit harder for me to see you know, slightly more obscure films because the Cine World, there's only one Cine World here and, you know, only chose the big films. Um, so it'll be a pain in the ass. But, you know, if I need to, I can go to Cambridge and stuff. But, um, yeah, again, I hope this will get me back on track in watching films. Over the last year since I had a job in London, obviously my output in, in terms of regards of film watching has gone down drastically. Uh, hopefully this move can, uh, can change that, but we'll have to see. But, yeah. Um, yeah, my life was, hasn't been so interesting, really. Um, I saw 975 the other day. That was pretty good. Oh, you did, yeah. Did you have fun? I had loads of fun, yeah. I'm glad. It was definitely, like, following, like, anyone, like, that's been on the internet is aware of the 975 controversy over the last... Yes. <laughs> I was seriously over the last, about like, 13 years, actually. <laughs> but, um, especially over the last year. Uh, and I would say that definitely, even at their gig, which, you know, everyone had to pay, like, 70 quid to go to see them. There still was a very, very anti Matty Healy vibe that has not been there in previous gigs. Like, even though, like, I mean, I, you know, I, my thoughts on him are nuanced, perhaps. Um, yeah, there were there's like a kind of undercurrent throughout the day of kind of people just shitting on him, but also having spent <laughs> 70 of their pounds against him. So, um, alas. Um, yeah, nice. Um, I've not been watching too many films. I've been watching quite a lot of TV, but I'm not watching too many films. Uh, but I think you have. I have. Um, we're just not going to have enough time to go through all of them, especially because yeah. it's been so long since we recorded. So I think, like, when we're doing what's, with what, what we've watched, we should probably do a bit. I just realised we've not even announced what we're doing. We've not even said what we're going to do on the podcast today. Oh, no, we've not. That's your fault. You're the host. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Okay. When you hear this, we would have already done that. <laughs> oh, shit. What do we do? Just throw it in now. 
It's going to be in the title, right. so it's not like people are going to be stood that sat there listening, going, "Oh, I wonder what they're doing." The title is going to tell them what we're doing. Okay, okay, okay. So uh, we are doing uh, a few things together and a few things on our own. So we're going to be doing basically the biggest things over the period that we missed. So together, we're going to be doing Bo is Afraid, um, Acro- Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, The Flash, uh, and No Hard Feelings. Um, and then on our own, Lewis is going to do The Little Mermaid, um, Indiana Jones... Asteroid City and Elemental, and I am going to do the TV shows. Um, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson. Series three dropped, but I'm going to do the whole series. Um, Rick and Morty series six dropped on UK Netflix, and Kunk on Earth dropped on Netflix. So I'm going to be doing all those three. So, Sounds yeah. like a plan. Sounds like a plan. But before we do that. What have we watched, Lewis? Let's go through you first. Tell, give us the, the selection, the, the creme I will. the creme. I will give, you, I will give you the highlights and, and maybe a few lowlights as well. Go for it, brother. Um, so, I wa- not including the stuff that we're doing today, obviously, I watched the animated Little Mermaid, and it's great. It kicked off the Disney renaissance for a reason. It's fab. I've rewatched Into the Spider-Verse, which was just as good as I remember it. I watched the 1988 film Hairspray, which has aged exceptionally badly in terms of political correctness. There is so, so many things about this film that are like, whoa! You know, for a film about racism in the 1960s, made in the 1980s, I did not expect the slur that got the most use to be the R slur, which is said a lot in this film and it's um but it's very it's it's very camp and it's john waters so obviously it's very camp um and it's just you can't you can't beat a bit of john waters from the 80s it's probably his most palatable film as well which is very funny when you actually watch it um then i watched the wicker man in the cinema there was this is quite the story actually because I'd, I'd never seen The Wicker Man before. Obviously, I've not done horror films before. I'm just getting into them this year. Yes, yes, yes. And um, The Wicker Man was on at the cinema because it's its 50th anniversary this year. So they've remastered it and re-released it. And um, I got there and there was like a little, you know, sometimes they have like a, a bit of a, a Q&A before the film in the picture house in london it most of the time is and this one was and they screen it to all cinemas across the uk pre-recorded and this one went on for an hour a whole hour of journalists and musicians and i think the man who did who was a supervisor for the music on the wicker man they were talking to these people for an hour people left and every time there'd be like an interview would end, the woman hosting the Q&A would go, and we're almost at the end, but before we do, and everyone would go, Jesus Christ, we just want to watch the film. <laughs> and I was really yeah, excited. It was listed with that on it the wasn't, It wasn't on the screening that I bought tickets to. I mean, on Cineworld, it did say there's like an hour of bonus footage before the start of the film. It did not say that on my screening. 
Otherwise, I would have turned up after an hour. Yeah. But it was it was so dull. I mean, I'm sorry to the people that were in it, but it was dull. It was not interesting. And also, they showed clips from the film, which was really annoying. Each person they interviewed picked a clip, and they showed like a five-minute clip from the film. And I was like, yeah. why are they doing this? The film is playing after this. And it was really annoying. Um, and But they kept speaking about the ending, and they were like, oh, the, the ending happens, and I had no idea what it was. And when I watched it, I, it it was really really good, basically to the shock of absolutely mm. no one. The Wicker Man is fab, and it's um, loads of people were comparing it to Midsummer, which I haven't seen, so I don't know. But just based on like the few very few bits that I have seen from Midsummer, I get the comparison. Setting a horror film in broad daylight in like a very peaceful looking idyllic place was a genius move in nineteen seventy three. It had never been done in that way before, and. It's really, really good. Christopher um, Lee, absolutely fab in this film. Absolutely fab. And it was a pleasure to see on the big screen, especially for the first time. In preparation for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, I rewatched the first four Indiana Jones films. And the first three are masterpieces, absolutely fab. The third one is my favourite, The Last Crusade. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, not great, but... It's not as bad as I remember, and there are, every now and again, you remember that it's Steven Spielberg, because there's a moment where it's like, that was incredible, that was so good, and then it's like, oh yeah, Steven Spielberg was making it. Even though, as a whole, it's quite bad, every now and again, when Spielberg pops up and he's like, yeah, I am, I'm one of the best, it gets really, really good. Then I watched um, Fleabag for the first time. I'd never seen Fleabag, and I'm talking about the play, um, stage play, not the TV show. I'd never seen the TV show, and I'd never seen the stage play. But um, it was released in theatres last weekend, and I went to see that. And it was really, really good. Again, to the shock of no one, it was really, really good. It's, um, I didn't, I knew it was a one-woman show, but I didn't know that it's literally just Phoebe Waller-Bridge sat on the stage for two hours talking and telling stories basically and it's insane how she manages to keep your attention when it's just her and a chair on the stage for two hours it's it honestly i am still kind of like i don't know how she did that it's not just the writing but it's her performance as well the physical comedy that she does it's really incredible and it is it's bizarre that it is just her and a chair on stage for two hours and yet I never once thought, this is getting a bit boring now. I wish something else would happen. It's It was really incredible. And then the last thing that I'll bother talking about, because I have seen a few other things. Oh, actually, no. I saw Greatest Days, which is a Mamma Mia-style musical featuring the music of Take That. And <laughs> it, it felt... It Not great. It felt like a fever dream. I am not certain I was conscious for most of it. It was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. They didn't... Yeah. They, You know, like in Mamma Mia, I don't know if you've seen Mamma Mia, but in Mamma Mia, they will weave the song into the plot. They build the plot around the songs and they will sing the songs. That is not what happens in Greatest Days. In Greatest Days, they'll be doing something and then the people in the background of these scenes will just start to sing a Take That song. 
and they'll sing maybe 30 seconds of it and then stop. It's like I, I don't want to I don't want to offend any 60-year-old mums that may listen to this podcast. <laughs> My mum loves really take that. Take, I don't think the take that really have the discography that is required for a full-length jukebox musical. They do not. They absolutely do uh, not. <laughs> absolutely they don't. They <laughs> do like, not. Maybe 15 minutes worth of material that would be like worthy of being in a musical. Yeah. But they don't even use that. They they sing like a quarter of the song they sing a little bit of the first verse and then a chorus and then they stop it's like being edged <laughs> they don't even sing the songs so when you start when there is a brief that moment i'd be aroused though i don't think i'm getting any aroused <laughs> that's, that's that. true <laughs> yeah and um it's um it's just it's really really bizarre they'll they'll start to sing a song and then they just stop and it's not relevant to the plot it it doesn't. I was like, is is what I'm watching real? And they'll yeah. sing. They'll sing the song for thirty seconds. They'll stop for ten minutes, and then they'll go back and do the chorus again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what the fuck? But not relevant to the plot. They didn't build the plot around music. They just made a plot up, and randomly threw take that songs in. It was incredibly bizarre. Incredibly bizarre. And then yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was strange. It was strange, Sam. I am... In a horrible journey of of discovery, I found out that the director of Mamma Mia, speaking of jukebox musicals, jukebox musicals, the director of Mamma Mia also made The Iron Lady, the Margaret Thatcher biopic in 2011 with Meryl Streep, which broke my heart, because I love Mamma Mia. (laughs) And she made... What's the director's name? Um, her name is when I found out her name I was like it doesn't surprise me that she's a Tory because her name is Felidia Lloyd right and I was like yep it makes sense that she's a Tory that's a very Tory name Um, and yeah I was like oh my god the Mamma Mia director did the Iron Lady but at least it has a happy ending because Margaret Thatcher died (laughs) <laughs> yeah, she did die. Yeah, that famously. Is true. She, did die. she famously. Famously, Margaret Thatcher um, is dead. <laughs> have you seen anything else? The um, I have seen other stuff, but the only thing that I'll say else I watch is for the first time in a long time I rewatched The Irishman, and um, it's really good. Shock, shock horror is really good. It turns out that digital de aging in um, in most films terrible digital de-aging when they try and just do it so the audiences recognize an, an actor from their childhood horrible but digital de-aging when martin scorsese does it because he doesn't want to have to cast younger actors because he wants to spend more time with his old friends love it can't get enough of it yeah de-age al pacino all you like martin scorsese i'll i'm there for it it's incredible yeah. it's great and i can't wait for you to watch it i also watched under the tuscan sun which is great Okay, and that's it Um, for the stuff that's worth talking about that I haven't that we're not going to cover on the podcast. Yeah, following the last episode, which was about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, if you remember, I um, I rewatched the Guardians films. Oh, nice! Um, Did you enjoy them? I I did enjoy them a lot more than I remember enjoying them, especially the first one. The first one, I remember I I watched it. I was like, this is an amazing sci-fi film. It sets up this this is amazing a, a world building and the way that it treats the threat of Thanos is, is, is very good 
Thanos has done so much better here than he is in the Avengers films. Um, I think that I'm a lot more confident in James Gunn's ability to lead this DC universe after watching Guardians of the Galaxy. I think now I'm like, Ooh. giving him the reins is the best thing that you can do because I think like if Marvel could have been done in James Gunn's vision if James Gunn had done the two Avengers films instead of the Russos I think we'd have two far far better films um, you're probably right especially in game um, yes so yeah I watched those um, I watched a lot of TV uh, and I've been doing t- three simultaneous rewatches of the television series Doctor Who. Um so right now I am watching Doctor Who with you as part of your journey to watch Doctor Who. Yeah. Going up to the start of series six right now. Uh, I would say the middle of uh, series six. Middle of series six. Um I think we just watched the Doctor's daughter the Doctor's wife, sorry. Yeah. Um so I'm with that with you in series six of the new series. Whilst I'm doing that rewatch, I'm also doing a rewatch um, at home with my family um, of the Jodie Whittaker stuff, which I've just finished. I'm now up to date. I've just Ooh. watched Power of the Doctor. So, nice. very good stuff. I can't give my thoughts too in-depth because, you know, yeah. you're going to get fans watching Jodie Whittaker eventually. But all I'll say is, like, the... I do not have the same opinion that almost anyone does about the last kind of, especially like Flux. Flux and the three specials afterwards, I don't have the popular opinion on that one, and we'll get to it in the future. But yeah. Um, and I'm a completely and utterly a Thasmin. 100% a Thasmin. More than I would be. I, I, I'm, this is a big moment. This is like coming out as a furry. That oh, I'm God. Happy. Um... And you'll know what that means in a, in a long time. Uh, and also, alongside those two watches, I'm also rewatching the two in terms of the, on my own, in terms of the classic series. And I've been slowly working my way through Peter Davison's Doctor Two for a long time now, for years now, slowly working myself my way through. I'm now halfway through his last story. I've watched two episodes out of four of the Caves of Angizani, and then I'll be done with Peter Davison forever. Um, aside from nice. that, I have watched uh a few silent films i watched gertie the dinosaur recently which is from 1914 which is the first ever animated film or the first um animated character with emotions or displayed emotions um which was quite an interesting watch and a very once again an example of um how terrified the uh audiences are in early cinema to uh let the sorry how terrified the uh, filmmakers are to let the audiences use their actual imagination and put the dots (laughs) together they have to show so clearly why this character is animated uh, rather than just showing an animation (laughs) Uh, I watched a film yesterday called The Bromley Boys which is a 2018 film uh, based on allegedly based on a true story that I don't believe that's true um, on Netflix Um, a one of my a new film from one of my favourite genres of High production, low budget, English feel good dramas. So Love we're those. talking, we're talking the Duke, we're talking the Damned United, we're talking um, the the what's that Jim Broadbent one you watched the other day? The the which one? What's that one? The Jim Broadbent one where he goes on a, he goes on a voyage. Or journey, oh, the the Pilgrimage of Harold Fry. Pilgrimage of Harold Fry, Phantom of the Open, yeah, um, Dream Horse. The Bromley Boys one. is very much in that vein. It's a football-themed 
Ooh. take on that um, that sees um, it's really starring Alan Davis of uh, QI fame and it nice. shows some boy who um, is in, in, involved in a, a large plot to try and save his football club um, but some hijinks you know ensue and you know we love hijinks characters and you know it's all very British and um, yeah it's, it's, it's a good laugh you know it's nothing special it's on Netflix if you like football and you're English and yeah go for it um yeah last thing Zack Snyder not a big fan of him you know I think wow. I made that clear um Rude. however Zack Snyder has said that he um had a Star Wars pitch rejected because it was R I'm glad and because it featured no existing or, or didn't feel enough existing Star Wars characters oh god and Whilst I don't like the idea of Zack Snyder doing Star Wars work, because I don't really like Zack Snyder very much, even though I can admit that some of his projects aren't terrible, um, it does make me quite sad that the reason why Disney would reject a pitch is because it doesn't feature enough um, yeah. existing characters or well-known characters in the universe, especially after watching a, a few, not, not all of them, not enough of them, watching a few of the anthology series Star Wars Visions, which went kind of under the radar when it came out. Um, the, you know, having different, um, I think first series, all anime creators. And the second series is, I think, just kind of world creators with very specific um, visual styles, uh, showing them little um, non-canonical self-contained stories. And seeing other people's, what they bring to this universe and read it out of the box thinking, you know, not, not being stuck to existing characters, existing canon or existing conventions means that you have potential for some really wonderful stories and really new stories in the universe, which is starting to feel more and more stale with every CGI remake of a character or yeah. reha rehashing of the story of the Skywalkers again and again and again. So I, I think that the, Moving in those directions is a positive thing. I think Visions is a really good example of, of why that is the move they should make. And I think especially The Jewel. I Am Your Mother was a great, but The Jewel was my favourite. That's really good. I recommend everyone go give that a view on Disney+. Plus. Give Zack Snyder control of Star Wars. Give Zack Snyder control of Star Wars. It's yeah. not what I'm saying. But, um, That's what I'm saying. I probably watched another TV show here and there because I've been watching a lot of TV, but... Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, so um, I'll have to carry on. Damn, what a shame. Damn, what a shame. Um, yeah, okay, nice. She was uh, so on to the news. Two, yeah, we've got two months worth of news to go through. We so have. we're just going to say some highlights, I guess. Yeah, I like, like we say, I was very busy throughout May, so I was not paying attention to news. And then I got overwhelmed with it. So I quickly, I quickly scanned through, and these are some of the highlights from the past few weeks. Captain America 4 has a new title. It used to be called New World Order. And now... Mm, a little bit conspiracy theory Yeah. A little bit Kanye. Famously anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, New World Order. Ooh, I'll tell you something good I watched. The um, Kanye documentary on, on BBC2 the other day was very good. Oh, nice. I didn't catch Going that. Going into here... Going into his, he, looking into his his rapid decline. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, Sam watched a Kanye West documentary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's now called Brave New World. 
Yes. Which is kind of the same thing, but it's not famously named after an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. So they're in the clear there. Well, no, New World Order, Brave New World, same thing. Brave New World sounds like exciting new tomorrow. Brave New, yeah. New World Order sounds like kind of like it's going to be, even if you're taking away the, the negative connotations, at least it sounds like spy-ish. Oh, yeah, that's true, I suppose. Espionage, thriller. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. In some depressing news, J.J. Abrams is making a Hot Wheels film. Oh, no way! <laughs> yes. Greta Gerwig's oh. Barbie has opened the door. To get ready for this number, Greta Gerwig's Barbie has opened the door to 42 productions from Mattel, the toy company. What? They are, they are ransacking 42. their toy cupboard. What? The film and hasn't even come out yet. As far as I'm aware, J.J. Abrams' Hot Wheels film is the only one that's been announced. Why don't they... What they just did is what Nintendo should have done after the Super Mario Bros. movie. You are dead on. Correct. That's the English should have done. I'd be happy if they said, like, a million... We've got a million superhero films now. We're making a Zelda film. We're making a Super Mario Sunshine film. And a Donkey Kong film. And a Yoshi film. We're making all of that yeah. shit. And a Kid Icarus film. Do that. I don't need... What do you mean, Mattel? What the fuck do you mean? Hot Wheels. What else is they going to... What are 40... What are the other 40? The Mattel Cinematic Universe. The MCU. The Mr. Hammer, darling. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, and J.J. Abrams is doing it. Who better than J.J. Abrams? <laughs> Let me Google. What does Mattel own? Like, maybe Mattel... The Mattel own, like... Am I right in saying that maybe toy companies were the ones that made cartoons to advertise the toys, so they might have, like... Yeah, like Transformers, I think, is Mattel. They might have... Yeah, they might have, like, G.I. Joe or... Um, not G.I. Joe, what was I going to say? Um, Thingy. Action Man. Like, uh, what's his name? By the power... He-Man or something like that. Oh, yeah. They own Matchbox, Fisher-Price, Polly Pocket, Uno. There's an Uno film. I forgot about that. That is announced. Are you serious? There's an Uno film? No, I'm being serious. There is an Uno film. Monster yeah, High, He-Man. Thomas yeah, the yeah, Tank yeah, Engine. Monster yeah, yeah. Universe is He-Man. They've got He-Man. Yeah. yeah, so there's lots of Mattel properties that are going to be turned into films. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. All because of Greta Gerwig's Barbie. <laughs> but, then the, but even Barbie is like almost like parody of it though yeah that's what that's what i think barbie works and i don't think that jj abrams will be able to capture that in the same I, way i think they should have got the wachowskis to do Ooh. like speed racer style now speed racer style hot wheels film. that i'm here for um, that i am here for i was thinking that me and you were kind of like the um the barbie and oppenheimer of the podcast world that is so true that like, is so true. That's not. That's yeah. not even funny. That is so true. I love that. I'm so Oppenheimer, and you're so Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. Like Speaking of Oppenheimer and Barbie, it's Barbenheimer month. It's Barbenheimer right. month. The most famous double even... bill in cinematic history. Do you think the fact that it's so mainstream is kind of made a bit cringe now? I. You know, I did for a while. But now, no. I'm just living in the moment. Really? Yeah. So, and I kind of love it. Yeah. I'm seeing Oppenheimer first. I am as well. You are? Oh, my God. I am. I'm going to end on a... I did want to do Barbie, Oppenheimer, Barbie. But I thought, I'm seeing it with other people and I can't drag other people down to my level. And you might not like Barbie. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I think I'm going to yeah, end on the high shit. of Barbie. I mean, the, 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 the clip that came out today looked awful. I haven't there, seen any of the clips or anything like that. But I am... I uh, my mic all over in my room and it very loud noise. Oh, dear. But um, I'm very excited for Barbie. Very excited for Barbie. But you know who isn't very excited for Barbie, Sam? Who? Vietnam. Vietnam. That's true. I think you said John Lee McDonald's. But, um... <laughs> no, Vietnam. Vietnam, yes. They true. have banned Barbie. Yes. Because of yeah, the nine-dash so. line, a map depicting it, the nine-dash line, which is um, something I'm not familiar with, to be honest. But it apparently associates with uh, sometimes t- kind of territorial disputes in the South China Sea. And uh, yes. that's all we'll say on that, because we are not qualified to talk about geopolitics <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> well, um, what's yeah, your I'm opinion on to... the dispute in the South China Sea, Sam? Uh, I do have an opinion, but I don't. <laughs> I don't want to air it for some reason. I don't know. I'm happy to normally talk about podcast, about politics in the podcast. But um, okay, fair enough. Know. Do you also have I'm controversial views on the Russia-Ukraine war? No, no, I don't think I do. Why are you trying to set me up for failure on my own podcast? We can edit that one. We can edit that one out. <laughs> you've said far. Oh, we've cut out far more, far more controversial things you said, or at least I've alluded. Not I've said. said. Do not yeah. hold me accountable for things I've not said. Okay. Um, <laughs> also, Barbie right. news. Talking yeah. about Barbie, Greta Gerwig's next project after Barbie is oh, yeah. Narnia, The Chronicles of Narnia. Netflix are remaking yeah. The Chronicles of Narnia, and Greta Gerwig is to helm at least two of them. And kind of, I... a, kind of link to know. that before you carry on your point. Greta Gerwig has said that she wants to move away from studio... She wants to move away from independent films and become a big studio director. That's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking, because I want more Ladybirds. Yeah. I don't like Little Women, you know, but I'd rather more Little Women than probably more Star Wars films. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm glad... Get that coin, but... Yeah. Give us, like... Give us a bat. Give us a, a ladybird. Don't get that coin. I disagree. Don't get that coin. I'm not supporting you, Crow. Yeah. Maybe she's because doing like, it so that Noah Baumbach can make a film that makes more nothing again. Directors. You know, like, it's really it's yeah. gutting because you see all these directors with so much promise. And then... Like you know, Barry just, Jenkins. It's just, it's just Disney money. What is it with yeah, Lions? Barry out. Jenkins is doing The Lion King and now Greta Gerwig is doing Narnia. Yeah, and, and Ko Zhao, you know, like yeah. she can easily go down that path if things go wrong. Um, you know, just it's just really depressing seeing people with so much talent. They're going to become such like unrecognizable cogs in a generic machine. Yeah. You know, like I they're hope... just going like, to, they're just, oh, films that don't feel directed are being done by directors with so much talent. I know what you mean, but I hope that it's more of a Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy. Rather yeah. than a Chloe Zhao element, um, Eternals. I yeah, I agree. I also, I don't, I have concerns over Narnia. You know? I really, honestly think that, you know, I said this earlier in the podcast about Narnia, the, the failure of the first franchise. I, I think that, that Narnia basically has one good story in it, and it's going to make they're going to make a, a re- Greg Gerwig is going to make an amazing line of which the wardrobe film, 
And then they realize the rest of the stories don't really hold up that well. And, yeah. you know, what is there's not definitely not enough to go for the amount of films that there are books. I don't think you can convince me to make like a seven, eight film Narnia franchise. Yeah. I haven't read the books. I'm not, I know I haven't seen the films either. I'm not familiar with Narnia. So I can't say I'm excited, but it's Greta mm. Gerwig. Maybe, so maybe, maybe she can, like, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's maybe like, I like I said, maybe it's a Christopher Nolan Batman situation. And, no, you um, can go to you can go to a studio and become an amazing studio director. Like, like Jet Gergel could be the next Spielberg. You know, that's yeah. the studio director. You know, and I respect her for that. I'm just more concerned because I feel like if she's making independent films, I feel guaranteed that I'm gonna like you know that she's gonna be going down the right way with her output. But with that studio, there's just there's a, such a, like a threat that she's gonna be lost in the system, and that's yeah. what I worry. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um. Speaking of Barbie Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer is, um, this is bizarre, this is insane. The 70mm IMAX prints of Oppenheimer are 11 miles long. That is insane. That is is unhinged. 11 miles of celluloid film. This film is going to be so good. It is. I'm so excited for Oppenheimer. I'm, I'm so seeing it in 70mm IMAX. Can't wait. Yeah, I'm probably going to see it in a, in a normal screen nearly, I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, you are close to London. You could go to the BFI. True. Uh, there's an IMAX in the light in Cambridge as well. I might just go there. I mean, it's still IMAX, isn't it? Yeah, it's not 70mm IMAX, though. That is true. And it's not even 1.43 IMAX. That is true. I I cannot okay. wait for Oppenheimer. Speaking of Oppenheimer IMAX, Mission Impossible, this is taking oh, Petty gosh. to a new level. We know that Tom Cruise is insufferable. We know this. Yes. However, Tom Cruise podcast. Yes. Yes. However, he is unapologetically a supporter of the theatrical experience, which yeah. isolated from the rest of his personality, we stand. And however, even despite his love of the theatrical experience, Mission Impossible was filmed with IMAX cameras. There, a, a, a version of Mission Impossible in the 1.9 IMAX aspect ratio exists. Will it be released? No. Because IMAX have given Christopher Nolan every IMAX screen in the world. And Tom Cruise was like, if I can't have sole ownership of the IMAX screens for a month, then the IMAX version is not going to get released. So they've, they've, they're releasing the cropped 2.39 version of Mission Impossible, not the IMAX version. Because Chris, I mean, Tom I, Cruise I, I said, Tom Cruise yeah. said, can you move, can you delay Oppenheimer so that Mission Impossible can have IMAX screens for a month? And they said, no, we're giving Christopher Nolan all the IMAX screens because he's Christopher Nolan. And Tom Cruise went, yeah. well, in that case, I'm throwing away the IMAX footage of Mission Impossible. Yeah, so Tom Cruise is a child. He right? is. He's a pathetic child. And what, you know, the easy answer here is why not just delay Mission Impossible? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah. like he's the only one that's got a problem. What, just just delay your film, you know, if you really care that much, which yeah. I think is respectable. You know, they may have gone for the effort to get the IMAX in there. You know, it's respectable for them to um, to want them to want the film released, the, the IMAX version released. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, 
it's yeah, it's it's sad. stupid. It's stupid, and yeah. it just reminds us that we hate Tom Cruise. Yeah, we do hate Tom Cruise, and everyone goes, "Wait, well, he says, you know, he saves cinema. He's the savior of all cinema. He loves cinema, um, yeah. but only when it's his. Only when it's his. Only when it benefits him." He is horrible. He is horrible. Okay, any more news? There's one more bit of news. Probably the biggest news in quite a yes. long time, actually. Biggest news in a very long time, I think, and that is we have our new Superman. Yes, we do. Our new Superman is a man called David Corrin Sweat. Um, whom I am, yes. who I've never heard of, um, yep. which excites me. I'm glad that it's not like Nicholas Holt or someone else. I'm glad it's someone that when they said David Corrinsweet is the new Superman, I was like, who the fuck is that? That excites do me. You, I do you not feel even me as someone who's hated on him openly for for a long time. Do you not feel bad for Nicholas Holt losing out on being both Batman and Superman? <laughs> I don't because he does not strike me as a Superman or a Batman. I don't know who let him I... in the casting room, but he does not give me those vibes. <laughs> the casting director I... that even allowed him to audition needs to be fired. I was backing him for Superman. Really? Even though I've not liked him in the past, I'm I'm quite interested in seeing that. Wow. And I think that People realize don't realize how much Cavill bulked up for the role, and I believe that both David Corrin Sweat and hypothetically Nicholas Hart would have been able to bulk up for the role. And, wow! Um, yeah, no, I I, I believe I would believe in them, but also again, kind of like Bond, you know, people also about who who Bond should be. Much like this, maybe the best answer is just to go for someone that we don't know. Uh, but yeah. he obviously has a bit a bit like. Um, uh, Daniel Craig, you know, he's got, he's known, he has been in a few things, um, especially within his own country. A bit like, yeah. you know, how, how Daniel Craig was like kind of known, but he's not massive. He was in Pearl, for example. Yeah, I think it's a very, it's a very promising casting. And similarly, our lowest lane is Rachel Brosnahan, who I am familiar with, and she's fabulous. So I'm very excited for that. Now comes the time where we ask, what the hell do they do? They cast Amy Adams' last name, did actually nothing with it. I know, it's wild, isn't it? They had, they really they had Amy Adams, and they didn't do Saying anything with it. Saying that Amy Adams has been in almost exclusively awful That is a years. very good point. That's a very um, good point. <laughs> yes, let's talk about some films that we've seen. Let's, let's. And I want to get you first to talk about a film that we watched, like, over a month ago okay we are going to be starting with the newest film from hereditary and uh midsummer director ari aster Bo is afraid starring joaquin phoenix as the titular Bo. <laughs> uh what i just I, I i know that's his name but it really sounded like you said wacky phoenix <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix um, as a titular bow uh, this film is a kind of psychedelic uh, or not psychedelic or surrealist headache um, yeah. that, is, that is surrounding the character of Bo trying to go on a journey across this kind of dystopian hellhole that they live in um, to try and get to his mother's funeral um, it stars uh, Patty Lapon, Amy Ryan, Parker Posey, Nathan Lane, uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson, um, and uh, a number of others. Um, 
So, you haven't seen either of the first two of, of our no, films, haven't. I'm sure, because uh, it's not particularly. That is kind of the thing that it, even now it would be very hard to talk you into watching those. Uh, but you yeah. did watch Bowser Afraid, uh, and it wasn't it wasn't really scary, was it? It was more no. just uh, mind fucky. Yeah. Uh, but what did you think of it? Well, Bo is Afraid. Um, it seems like something that's very up my street, so I was very excited for it. And um, my my excitement paid off. I really liked Bo's Afraid. I was when it started. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is my vibe. I'm with it." The middle section, like the second act, I thought it was a bit slow, and I was like, "I don't feel like this is going to come to a satisfying conclusion." It's it's lost me. And for a solid like forty minutes, I was like, "No, nah, this has lost me. I'm not a fan. I don't love this. I liked it, even those bits where it was slow. I liked it from like technically from a technical perspective. I thought the performances were very good. I thought the direction was very good. Cinematography was great. I think the thing that stood out to me the most was the production design. Like even though this is very clearly set on Earth and is in our world." It didn't feel real. It didn't feel like the real world. And I think that's mostly due to the production design and the direction as well that was going on. It just, it felt like we were watching a stage. It it just, it felt really bizarre. And I really liked that about it. It was very unsettling and uncomfortable. And I really liked that. But like I say, it lost me in the second act. But then, but then... Patty Lapone turns up. Patty Lapone turns up and this film takes a turn. And the last hour or so of this film blew me away. And I was like, yes. I loved the last hour of this film. Some of the best filmmaking I've seen this year. Some of the one of the best like feelings I had in the cinema this year. It was just amazing to watch. I cannot believe that I have not seen more people talking about Patti Lapone's performance in this. She is incredible in this. When she shows up, I was like, because you only hear her on the phone at the beginning. And on the phone, I was, I recognized the voice and I was like, that's Patti Lapone. How did they get... Because she's notorious... She's quite a diva, Patti Lapone. And I was like, how did they get Patti Lapone to play an off-screen character who only appears on the phone? Because you said it in the description. She dies before you see her. And it was like, how did they get Patti Lapone to be, play an off-screen character? And then she shows up. And it's like, yes, this is how they did it. Because when she shows up, it becomes one of the most exhilarating and gripping pieces of cinema this year that I've seen. I think, and I, when I first thought this, I was like, that's ridiculous, don't be silly. But the more I've thought about it, the more I stand by it. Patti Lapone deserves an Academy Award nomination for this film. She is... If Jamie Lee Curtis can get a a, a career Mm. Oscar for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Patti Lapone, the legend that she is, can absolutely get an Oscar for this performance. She is fabulous. And she kind of steals the show. She, Even though she's not in it very much, and it's very much Joaquin Phoenix's film, and he's in it the most, she is the thing that I left 
thinking about. I was like, her character, her performance, the story around her character was absolutely unbelievable. And like I said, I've not seen Hereditary or Midsummer, but apparently Ariasta has a thing about mums, and it I I can see that is also reflected in this film. Um, but yeah, it's one. It's a very bizarre film, like you say. It's very surreal and headachey, and it definitely does feel like that. And like I say, it lost me in the second act with the Nathan Lane portion of the film. Um, it kind of lost me and I was like, I'm no longer invested in this. I don't really care. I just want it to end. But then it didn't end and it carried on going on. It's very long. And like I say, the second act didn't grip me. I could take a lot of that out and I think it'd be a lot tighter and work a lot better. But it more than makes up for it in the last hour. The insane and unhinged turn that it takes in the last act makes it well worth the watch. And I thought, it was fabulous. What did you think of Bo is Afraid, Sam? I'm surprisingly very similar. Let's uh, go. As it seems that, as that we seem to always agree. That's we do. Thing. The exciting thing, however, is that I do disagree on a lot of your points. Namely, that I do not have the issue that you have in second act. If anything, I actually think second act is probably the strongest. Um, oh. Bo is Afraid, yeah. As I alluded to earlier, it has... It, it's kind of like... Um, a very interesting and uh, a very disorientating uh, mix of the surrealism that you might expect from Lynch projects like Lost Highway um, mixed with the kind of insanity of a Safdie Brothers film. There's a constant pressure on you. That's a very, very good comparison. There's this constant pressure, yeah. There's this constant pressure that's guiding this character through this completely absurdist world. Um, and even though you're not exactly sure the parameters of, of what's going on, there is still a, like an intense like feeling of, of concern, a tension, a, a fear, a paranoia around you. Uh, and it's a very stressful watch. Had you to see it, but it goes through a, a, a variety. So the, the film is an epic, it's an odyssey. And yeah. every single different... Uh, period or area or or theme it's tackling is very distinct, has very clear visual differences um, and I think all works in a wonderful, kind of wonderful way some extent, some some of the later uh, parts don't kind of work to the same extent that I think uh, the early sections do, you know, I think the, the, the last 20 minutes, it goes there's a kind of slightly too over the top uh, turn the film makes that maybe just kind of dislodged me a little from the I think you know what I'm on about yeah. the, the phallic <laughs> uh, decision the film makes yes. uh, I struggle a little bit with that and I think that some things that were answered towards the end kind of wish were a little bit left unsaid but just journeying through like the first section of the film and I think yeah, I agree with you that a lot of it is made from wonderful production design but there's this world they have in the beginning of the film that's just an absolute dystopia that, that Wacky Phoenix's character lives in. Yeah. Um, where, you know, constant looting, you know, you walk into your house, you're, you're risk of being stabbed, you can't get to the shops. You know, it's just a complete hellhole. Um, you know, he gets his stuff stolen, he gets his house just, you know, rammed by um, kind of lawless types, you know, people just stressing the walls and, you know, pissing everywhere and they're just destroying the place. That kind of, you know, him going from that, and that's what I thought the film was all going to be like having that that world created and then boom 
you know, two minutes later having that pristine world, the Nathan Lane section, which I think was the best part of the film. I think the Nathan Lane section, um, look, you know, when Frankie Phoenix is, is damaged and he's kind of being healed back to health by this kind of family, and you're not really sure what their true intentions are, and it's all a little creepy and you know the 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 daughter not into in, the daughter that's kind of uh, unwilling to to accept whack him into to her life it's all that section i thought was wonderful i was really on the edge of my seat i was yeah the tension was at level 10 but you know i thought it was very very funny the whole film was very funny very dry very sarcastic yeah manner. yeah uh, I think, you know, that really helps um but yeah great that we're well, halfway through cinematography is amazing so the production design is amazing some of the decisions they make are a little bit kind of out there towards the end, but um, are absolutely a million gasps a minute. Um, and yeah, you just wish things were going to go better for this poor guy. It's something that just seems to keep going wrong, bless him. Um, yeah. yeah, amazing, amazingly directed, amazingly written. Uh, and Patty Lapone, you yeah. said it, I haven't got around to it. Yeah, that's actually one of the main things I thought coming out of this, you know, is just how good she was. And, you know, it doesn't seem like something we've been talked about very much. So I'm happy you mentioned it first. Yeah. Um, absolutely exceptional performance. I think Viking Vince is, is also Oscar worthy, you know, at least a nomination wise. Yeah. I think he, you know, he's on screen for, you know, you know, you know the sections with him as a child, but he's on screen for maybe 150 minutes of this. Yeah. You know, um, but Patty Lapone, she's just completely, I mean, it's like, just watching her, it's almost like you're you're transferred back to being like a school child, being braided by a teacher. Just being yeah. in the same room with her is just terrifying. She has such a presence. You feel like you're the one that's getting lashed. Yeah, um, yeah just so dominating. And um, just took up all the air in the, air in the room at the time. And um, yeah, fully deserving of an award. Um, yeah, very good. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Uh, loved the pose afraid. I had high expectations going in. Uh, I hated Hereditary. Famously hated yeah. Hereditary, um, and there were definitely elements of his humour that I didn't like in Hereditary that I I noticed in here. But I all thought that it was done quite well. And the film is very long, and it, I think you I felt the, the the length of it towards the end. Um, mm. But it was so interesting that I never felt that was too much of an issue. Um, but yeah, it did feel like a lot of fully fledged stories, so you did feel a bit of length. But yeah, again, they're all enjoyable enough. Yeah. My I think so. I'm giving this a, a straight 9 out of 10. That's great. I agree. I'll give it a 9 out of 10 as well. Before we move on to the MVP, I do just want to say, I I felt the length in the middle. I did not feel the length at the end. When it was the end, I didn't want it to stop. I, I would have watched it for another three hours, to be honest. Yeah. Even though, I've, even though I was conscious I'd been sitting there for three hours, I'd be happy to sit there for longer. Yeah. I did not want it to end during the bit that it ended I was like give me more of this please I need more of it there were times where I felt especially in the end I did feel like Joaquin Phoenix's character was just a bit whiny and annoying but I think that was the point yeah. so it wasn't really a negative thing about his performance so yeah Very 9 good. out of 10 my man match is going to be Patty Lapone. I think it was going to be the same let's go pa team Patty yeah. Lapone all the way Patty Lapone for best supporting actress 2024 Sure. Okay, so we're moving on now to The Little Mermaid, which is a film which, you know, unfortunately has been um, covered in the wrong type of controversy. We've talked yeah. about that a few times, um, namely because uh, the main character, Ariel, uh, who's traditionally a ginger white character, has been played by Halle Bailey, um, who is a black woman. Um, 
again, I've not seen the film. You've seen the film. I know yeah. your feelings towards Disney remakes. I imagine this feeling will be a negative one. It's such a shame we even need to establish that when the reason why we like we don't like film is not because we're racist. Yeah. Um, virtually, like <laughs> that is such stupid criticism, and she's a fictional mermaid. Who gives a shit what color she is? Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, that's kind of felt like ties to a lot of the negativity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you've famously been a massive hater of live action adaptations of Disney animated films. Yeah. Um, obviously, you came to this film having watched rewatched the original first, yeah. so you have a kind of memory in your mind of of the charm that you you saw in the original animation. Yeah. Now I know this is kind of leading <laughs> into your view, <laughs> but um, how did you feel towards Rob Marshall's adaptation of this classic? Well, I I will get the positive out of the way. Shockingly, there is some positive, or rather there is a positive. And I'm very happy to say this, because as you say, the biggest controversy about this film has been the fact that Halle Bailey is black and Ariel was white in the original. And I'm very happy to say that Halle Bailey is the only good thing about this film. She is genuinely fabulous. She's a great actress. She's a great singer. And her performance is as good as a film like this. As good as it could have possibly been in a film like this. This film has the opportunity to do the only good thing that any Disney live-action remake will ever do if it makes Halle Bailey a movie star. Because she deserves so much more than this. She is genuinely really good. So, and that's not just being like she was in it and it's stupid to hate her because of racist reasons. She's actively very, very good in this role. She is a brilliant Ariel. So, fabulous Halle Bailey. That is the end of the good. <laughs> Shockingly, that is the end of the good. This film, very much like every other Disney live action remake, is pointless and horrible and dull, and lifeless, and <laughs> characterless, and insidious, and hateful. And when I when I saw Rob Marshall's name pop up, because I'm familiar with the work of Rob Marshall, he made Chicago, the 2002 Best Picture winner, Chicago, which is one of my favourite musicals. I was like, hold up, hold the phone. How is this man doing a Disney live-action remake? But he is, and none of his talent is visible. It's 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 a horrible film. It's very dull. It's visually dull. It's probably the best live action remake that Disney have done. Really? Yeah. Which is is like saying, Again. it's yeah. like saying I've got skin cancer, which is the best cancer to get. It's not a good thing, but yeah, it's brutal analogy there. Luke. I mean, it's true. Disney live action remakes are a cancer on society. He's yeah, I think you said like being like you know, the world's tallest dwarf or something like that. You know, the normal thing. <laughs> no, no, it's like it's like having the best STI. It's still an STI. Well, to be fair, I've always had I've always had good things to say about gonorrhea. <laughs> but yeah, it is probably the best one that they've done. But again, that is not saying much. Um, yeah, the 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 songs that they add in are futile and horrible. They're not catchy. They're not good. Aquafina plays probably the most annoying bird in cinema, and I'm using bird literally. I'm not saying bird like <laughs> you like do Sarah to refer to women. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Jacob Tremblay is is tolerable as Flounder. Um, uh, Javier Bardem as King Triton. Genuinely horrible. Genuinely. (laughs) A horrible performance. A horrible (laughs) script. And a horrible visual thing to look at. Javier Bardem with no legs. And a horrible CGI (laughs) hair and beard. Uh, terrible thing to look at. Uh, um, uh, what's her name? Melissa McCarthy um, as yeah. Ursula. <sighs> Not good. No. Um, really? there, there's. I, she she right. I mean, visually, she looked, you know, like a witch. Um, the Whoa. the makeup was was there. She had it on, and she had a wig on as well, um, which they took off when they started filming because her hair is horribly CGI in this. Um, Melissa McCarthy also can't mm. sing. Or if she can sing, she can't sing in the low register that is required for Ursula. Um, yeah, it's just a whole... It's just a whole lot of shit. Who'd have thunk it? A, a Disney live-action remake is hated by Lewis. But again, it's the best one yeah, that they've done. The best past. We, we probably should have swapped... Yeah. Yeah. But again, I would like to stress. I would like to stress that Halle Bailey is genuinely brilliant. Like she is. Okay, we get it. You're not racist. Great. No, I'm genuinely not just saying that to 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 point out that I'm not racist. She is genuinely fantastic in this, and I hope that she moves on to better things and leaves this behind in her distant, distant past. Great out of ten. Two. (laughs) The match, Halle Bailey. Halle Bailey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dope. Okay. Moving on some, uh, to... Uh, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson. Have you heard of this? I haven't, no. When you were telling me during the podcast, during the preparation for this, you went, then you're going to do The Little Mermaid, then I think you should leave. And I thought you were joking <laughs> and just telling me to leave. So no, I haven't yeah, heard of I, this. I, I think you should leave. But yeah, it's a <laughs> sketch comedy show by... It's called, it's called I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. It's started by the comedian Tim Robinson, uh, an American Netflix original sketch comedy series that's kind of semi-surrealist. It's pretty similar. It's fairly surrealist. It's kind of surrealist cringe comedy. Um, and, yeah, the third series dropped on Netflix uh, over the last, well, in the period since we last recorded, I think at the end of May, start of June. Um, I watched all three series. Uh, I binged all three of them because... There are only six episodes per series, and they're only 16 or 17 minutes long, so it's just so easily digestible. Uh, if you're just at home and you just want to watch like easy, quick comedy, you just throw on like one or two, 17, 17 minutes long, and each sketch, they're only a few minutes, so it's, it's, it's easy to power through. Um, yeah, I like it enough uh, to watch it all, watch three series in very few sittings. Um, but, yeah, as I said, it's, it's kind of, it, it's, all cringe and it's very surreal and it's all around a kind of very similar subject of here's a normal social situation and imagine if one guy was a bit weird or if imagine one guy took the joke too far and it's pretty much that for like 80% of the the sketches that was alongside like parodying like TV shows. One thing it really has going for it is that the production value is really high to the point where when it's parodying other mediums, it's very convincingly 
like those mediums, which a lot of sketch comedy, you know, it just isn't like that. You know, you can't think about something like the size of, of a BBC Two or BBC Three comedy that, you know, I grew up with trying to parody Willy Wonka. It hasn't really got the power to do that. When you're talking about a show with Netflix's backing, they can and it's recorded in 4K, it does actually feel quite genuine. That makes it the pun, you feel a bit punchier. Um, but I think a lot of it is a divide between the UK and the US. Why I think it's funny, but I don't think it's like, lol funny and i think that's a big thing is that it's like let's say that their whole take on like this is the kind of similar kind of surrealism that you're going for for like monty python style thing and it's kind of like what either you know we don't really get their comedy or americans just kind of don't really get our comedy it's kind of one of the two it's just a little bit inch away from being funny uh it's just kind of missing the mark slightly it's always feeling like it's kind of um maybe just a little rewrite away from being hilarious. Uh, but again, I think it is international divide in, in terms of, of, of crew comedy, uh, in terms of sketch comedy. Um, yeah, I would recommend everyone get you, giving it a view. It's super easy watching. Um, and he's obviously an actually quite funny guy, but it's just an inch off being my style comedy. Same with Eric Andre. I want to love him. Just so close to being funny to me, but it just isn't. Don't give it like a 7 out of 10. I give it like a seven out of ten. I don't think it's really fair to the man of the match in the sketch comedy series. I guess it's kind of I guess Tim Robinson has to be the man of the match, but Yeah. Yeah. Stephen Young, he makes a cameo appearance in the show. I give him it. Nice. We love Stephen Young. Okay. Let's do What's next? Spider Verse is next. Yes, this is the biggest film we're gonna be doing today in terms of, of cultural impact. This is one yeah. of the probably the yes. biggest films of the year. Um, this is a Mar- this is a Marvel film, but this isn't an MCU film. So you know we're not we're not even coming in from a point of instant dislike. Um, so before we go into it, what did you think of Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, the 2017 film, which was the first part of this? What do you think? What was your opinion on Into the Spider Verse? Well, firstly, it's from 2018, not 2017. 2018, sorry. <laughs> But um, I loved Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I thought it was fantastic. I thought the animation was incredible. I thought the story was incredible. I, I loved it. 10 out of 10. Okay. I also love Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I think Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is a beautifully, uh, beautifully animated film, wonderful story, really fresh take of the character, and especially with all kind of the ongoing universes and overlapping it felt like quite a nice counter to that you know it's, it's a new style it still has a big theatrical release it still felt important spider-man across the spider-verse directed by Joachim dos santos justin k thompson and kemp powers uh it follows on from the first film uh miles has a little bit more experience um and re-meets gwen stacy who takes them takes him to a world uh full of spider-man called the spider society where they uh he meets with a oscar isaacs character miguel o'hara who is kind of like the leader or the overseer of the multiverse uh and he very quickly finds out that uh, he must fight against the other spiders to protect his own place within that multiverse uh features uh kind of an ensemble of spider characters including the the very much popular now spider punk and there's a an, an indian spider-man the uk spider-man and a spider the spider woman the jessica drew one's there they're just gonna get her in film and yeah it's all all wine and multiversal and um and there's the bit where they point at each other again so 
What do you think of Spider-Man from Spider-Verse? It's got super brave reviews. It's the ninth highest film of all time on Letterboxd. What did you think about it in this Royal? I, I liked it a lot. I thought it was great. I did. I thought it was... I'll, I'll, this is going to be a spoiler for my rating and my thoughts in general. I thought it was better than the first one. I thought... At the, at the very beginning, I was worried because I felt like the animation particularly was something that was so praised about the first one. And it, it this one, even more so, is so stylized and, and differently animated that I was like, it 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 might become and, and feel like a parody of itself, like taking it to the extreme a little bit too much. But it didn't. It really, really worked. And I thought the the animation again was beautiful. The story was beautiful. It was fabulous, a gripping story. Especially the last act was edge of your seat, gripping stuff. The voice performances are fabulous, and uh, yeah, pretty much everything about it is great. There are there are a few things that I would like to talk about that are would be considered spoilers. It's been out for quite a while, so can we do spoilers? Uh, I think it's been long enough that we can do spoilers for Spider-Man. Uh, in, in, we can do spoilers for Spider-Man, yeah. I, I agree. So, yeah, there is um, a few things in this that made me roll my eyes. When Donald Glover shows up as the Prowler in live action, I was like, Ugh. I liked it. I didn't. I didn't. I thought it was. I thought it was horrible. I thought it was... Everything that I hate about modern superhero films in one scene, it's like... Yeah, but do you know about he's like the reason that Miles exists? Yeah. It's nice, though, that like he was in it. No. Like, it's like he's the reason that films exist. It's like literally a little nod to him, like, thank you. Thank you, Donald Glover. No. I don't like that. You know, carry on. What's your next complaint? The same thing, but later on, when they just showed clips from Amazing Spider-Man and the original Spider-Man film. I thought it was nice touch. It's multiversal. They need to show that it's like... No. Yeah, it no. Like, I think it's nice. It was just, yeah. look at this thing that you remember and enjoy. Yeah, it's just a nice bit of fan service. No. The whole thing is fan service. The whole thing yeah, is just, fan was, service. No, and that's great. There's no showing that and like any other bit of fan service it has. There is. There is. Because all the other fan service is well crafted, they they had um, Insomniac Spider Man the game Spider Man PS4. They had that Spider Man. Miles's friend was playing that game. That's a nice bit of fan service that they weaved or wove in. Just showing a clip from an old film. No, stop. I hate that. I rolled my eyes at that. It's everything that I hate about modern superhero franchise films in one second like stop give us something new to enjoy instead of just literally showing us clips from the old one at least no way home brought them back and did new stuff this just anyway. showed them again i hated it i hated those moments um yeah those are the only complaints that i had everything else about it was perfect and incredible and big spoiler alert but again we're talking about spoilers I completely forgot that this was originally called Part 1. So when To Be Continued popped up on the screen, my heart stopped. And I was like, what the fuck? No. No. Yeah. No, don't do not do that. I was like, since when is this a Part 1 situation? And then I remembered. 
Oh yeah, it was originally called Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. When the words to be continued, when it cut to black and it said to be continued, someone in my cinema, there were audible gasps everywhere. And then someone went, oh shit, very loudly. Mm. And that's how I felt. Mm. It was insane. My jaw Mm. hit the floor at that moment. And I loved it because even though, excuse me, even though it's a part one, it still has its own arc. Miles's arc it still has its own arc and it still has its own little story. That's what I like about films. When they get split into two, they still have to have their own little arc. They still have to work on their own. And this one does. It does work on its own. It ends on a massive cliffhanger and my jaw hit the floor. This, it's better than the first one. I thought the music was incredible. Everything about it was incredible. Loved it. And I can't wait to watch the third one. And finally, find out what's going to happen next. Because <laughs> honestly, the feeling of horror that crossed my heart when the words "to be continued" popped up, I was not prepared. I I was because it ends with all the spider people from the first one on top of a roof, and I was like, "Oh my god, here we go! It the fight is about to start. Let's go! There must be like half an hour left. Let's do this because the pacing is so good." That it didn't feel like, oh god, it's been going on for a while. We need, to, we should be getting towards the end now. So I was like, oh, there must be about half an hour left. They're about to fight. Shit is about to go down. And then no, cut to black. To be continued. Two years. You've got to wait. Horrible feeling, yeah. but in the best way possible. So I yeah. loved Across the Spider Verse. Loved it. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, all very similar again. Um, Shockingly, yeah, we well, agree. Yeah, shockingly, we agree. Um, yeah, love Spider-Man across Spider-Verse. Um, so, yeah, didn't really have many issues. I didn't have problems with those moments. Uh, my biggest issue, honestly, um, just to start off with the negative, really, was the the sound mixing was poor. You know, I think there was a real issue with sound mixing. I felt that like yeah, a few yeah. times. I came out of the cinema, you know, and, the mother, and I, I thought, oh, you know, that, that was annoying. Looked at my phone. One of the first tweets I saw, the cat cinema was... Um, new version with improved sound mixing to be released in cinemas next week of Spider-Man vs. Spider-Verse. Yeah. So I was like, okay, even their biggest problem, they're actually aware of it. And I did notice that quite a lot. Other than that, yeah, I guess, the, again, the, the the biggest complaint is is what you just said, that we have to wait, we haven't got enough. And it, you know, if it's going to leave you waiting, that's the ultimate compliment. And it's all because it felt so quick. You know, we're talking. This film is it's not a short film, especially by you know an animated standards, which are usually you know shorter. This is two hours and 20 minutes and when you get to the fi- the end of the film the you know to be continued you feel like you're just ready to get into you know the midway for the second act it feels like you're 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 just about halfway into the film you know yeah. um you can't believe how quickly you got to that point and then boom it's over and it, you know it's heartbreaking knowing that these films take so long it took so long to make this film it's realistically you know it can take it you know it's initially supposed to be a year it's probably gonna take another two years before we get to see a second one um which, you know, is heartbreaking, but it just shows how good the film that comes before is, and it is truly excellent. Um, we get so many spider people as we did in the first film, but I think one of the things that we got more than the last film was we got more an exploration of different, spending more time um, in each of the universes, you know, rather than just being like, just like flash, flash through loads. We got to spend time in quite a few different universes and see these really distinct art styles, such as the, I can't remember the name of the, the um, Indian Spider-Man, I think he was just called Spider-Man, but I think he was called, he had a different name, something Parker. 
Um, but the Indian Spider-Man's universe, the art style of that, very unique, looks wonderful. The the kind of cut-out look of this of Daniel Kaluuya's Spider-Punk, which is like this UK Spider-Man. Is that Daniel Kaluuya? Yes. Gag. You know I didn't know Holy that. Brown, yeah. Yeah, I remember that being out ages ago. Um, you know, the, the Lego uh, spider bit, which is now going like kind of gone viral. Yeah. Um, all of these universes feel, and, and more ex- uh, time spent in Gwen's universe. Um, having, spending more time in exploring those universes and getting to see these like very distinct art styles is what I think the best thing about being able to do this story in animation. And to now know that like the response from this film going well is, oh, we're going to make a live action Miles film and oh, we're going to do a live action this. I think it's pointing because this film just shows how much we can do with animation. Uh, especially, you know, when you're doing a story on a multiversal scale, it's just the perfect thing for it. Uh, music's a wonderful, performances are great, audio performances are great. Um, to make more, you know, people are talking about whether he can, whether he's too old to be the live action Miles. I think it'd be very boring just to have the same actor do it again, but he is wonderful in this. Um, and on the current, you know, this is this film kind of ages ago in the, in the, in the debate uh, has kind of died down now. But there's a lot of discussion about whether um, Harry Steinfeld's Gwen Stacy is trans um, that comes that happens in this film. Um, you know, firstly, you know, her universe is all um, in the color, the trans colors, you know, the style of her universe is done like that visually. And also she has a protect trans kids um, poster. And I think I only like, maybe they'll address it in the third film, but I think people have taken it far too literally. And I think um, it is very clear from, from personally, I think it's very clear that that is a, uh, something suggested by the filmmakers i don't think this is just coincidence i think it'd be very it'd be ridiculously assume that the, the, the colors are a complete coincidence and also the flag is there so i think it's very much done on purpose um but i think there's a debate whether she's trans or or in that case i guess he's trans um it is not really i think the important thing i think it's more the point that this is more of like an allegory for it there's a more, more of a metaphorical story from the way that she feels in her her skin, you know, it, it, I think her experience as Spider-Woman or Spider-Gwen or whatever is more of a, an allegory towards uh, the trans experience. And I think that's what it's trying to show. And maybe they will make Gwen trans in the third film. I think that, you know, it's set up to do that if it needs to. But ultimately, I think, you know, we just need to focus on this as the metaphor as it currently stands. Yeah, they they won't make her trans, but um, it is, it's an allegory that's clearly very... purposefully put there. But it's, yeah, it's yeah, put there absolutely. in, you know, the cynical half of me is like, it's there so that trans people will recognize it, but it's so insignificant that transphobes will not notice it. Um, True, I think there is definitely a, there's definitely a way, you know, like you know, especially like the Disney. I know this is Sony, but of course, you know, yeah. the way that Disney typically approaches representation is very much in that way that it's it's easy to write off whilst yeah. you're doing enough to to get praise, and there's there's definitely a way to do that. Like it's there if you're the, looking for tra- it, but if you're not looking yeah. for it, it's not there. That's true, but I think having a trans kids flag, you protect trans kids flag, is a slightly more of an overt sign than Disney would have been prepared to do. Which is it like is, I agree, sign. but I'm not going to lie, I didn't notice it. It's in the background of a shot, I didn't notice it. Yeah. So, um, I guess maybe I but that's the cynical part, part of me. It's a very, it's yeah. very, it's Regardless obviously of... an allegory that is intentionally put there, yeah. even if it's been intentionally made subtle. Yeah, um, yeah I agree, yeah. yeah. But that that is the cynical half of me doing yeah, that. Yeah, I, but... I, I think that's, that's fair. But yeah. Very funny film, super fun, super easy watch. I don't know um, if you mentioned just... it, but I can't remember if I did. But the music is fab. Yeah, we both mentioned it. Oh, yeah. we both did. Loved My memory's it. bad. Awful yeah. today. 
But yeah, music great. And villain, neither of us has talked about Spot the villain. Great villain. When Both he villains great. Oh yeah, Spot and Miguel. Yeah. When uh, when mm. Spot first showed up, I was like, oh, he's just a little quirky because he's. I didn't. I hadn't seen any of the trailers. Well, I'd seen one of them, I think, but I hadn't read up about this film at all, so I had no idea what to expect. When he showed up, I thought he was going to be like, you know how in superhero films there's always a little villain that they catch early on before they get to the big villain. I thought Spot was like, oh, he's so silly and goofy and ridiculous yeah. that he's just the funny villain that we're going to get out of the way in the opening scene. But then, no, he becomes really sinister and quite threatening, and that that transformation is done really, really well. Yeah. I love this film so much. Did you think it was better than the first one? It lacked a little bit of the kind of punch of the first one, because a lot of the concepts, you know, it's it's you're not outdoing them; they're just doing them differently. You know, I don't feel like mm, you know we still so. have the same amount of film to watch, so we're still going to get the same amount of like, even if we see a thousand Spider-Man in the background, we're still getting the same amount of Spider content. But you know, it's not like it doesn't really feel like the stakes are being upped. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and it lacks a bit of the punch of the first one. You know, you're seeing it sort of the first time, experiencing it as yeah, Miles does, true. Uh, which is all fun. But then also technically, visually, I think it is an improvement. I think you know, all the yeah. technical aspects it is better. Um, so I think it's very hard to, to put them against each other. Uh, yeah. I think I'd have to rewatch them both, but I think I'd be inclined to say that Cross the Spider-Verse is maybe slightly better. Um, yeah. Just because, yeah, I just, yeah, I think, like I said earlier, you know, you, I think... I am such a sucker for alternate universes and stuff that even though yeah. I, you know, I'm tired of, of the MCU and, and, and mainstream superheroes doing multiverse stuff, um, this is like the you know the best example of it in terms of say like changing the style, the visuals and stuff. I think it's great. Yeah, um, it, is. it is. Yeah, I think it's just it's it's a nice space to it's a nice environment to be in. You know, mm. uh, you just kind of want to spend more time looking around every single shot, and I think you know that that's, that speaks a lot. Um, it's fab. It really it is. is fab. Yeah. Great. Uh, I'm going to give it a 9.5 out of 10. I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. That's completely fair. Uh, it and it's kind of hard to do a man match for things like this, I find. It is. Um, so I'm just going to give it to the writers. So I'm going to give it to, to, to Phil Lord, Dave Callum, and Chris Miller. I thought it was uh, Yeah. I am going to give... Yeah. Is that who you're giving yours to? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to give it to the, the writing team. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm going to give mine to um, all of the visual effects artists who works on this, all of yeah, the animators. Yeah, I can't, I can't ignore that. I was just, gonna, I just didn't want to do it because it's so vague. <laughs> but like, yeah, obviously it's the visual effects over the writing. Obviously, yeah, yeah fuck it. There visual are too effects. many to name, but all of the um, animators and VFX artists on this, they're yeah. my, uh, okay. they're my so, man of the match for sure. Okay, uh, what's next, next? Up is Astro City. Ooh. I, I really, really wanted you to watch Asteroid City before we spoke about it. Really badly. Yeah. Because famously, I didn't like the French Dispatch. And I was like, I don't know whether I've just gone off Wes Anderson's style or whether I've just, I've just lost it. And to be honest, over the past year or however long it's been since the French Dispatch... I've been scared to rewatch any with Wes Anderson film because I really love them. And I'm like, was the French Dispatcher a misstep? Or have I just gone off him? 
and I didn't want to ruin my memory of the films that I enjoyed, so I've not rewatched any of them. So Asteroid City, I was not particularly excited for because, again, wasn't a fan of the French Dispatch. And Wes Anderson's films are all very similar stylistically because he's so stylized that I was like, "Am I? I'm probably going to feel the same way." And I really wanted you to watch it as well because I thought that we could have had like an interesting debate about it, like we did on the French Dispatch. Because as we've said, we agree on most things. However. Wes Anderson is back on form, baby. I loved Asteroid City. Let's go. It is fabulous. I don't, and it has made me want to rewatch the French Dispatch. Maybe I was just in a bad mood when I watched the French Dispatch, but I loved Asteroid City. It's inc- it's amazing. It's really really good. Probably my favorite Wes Anderson film since. Grand Budapest Hotel. I think this is probably... Grand Budapest Hotel is my favourite Anderson film. This might be my second favourite. This might be my second favourite Wes Anderson film. It's really good. Um, all the performances are very good, as they always are in Wes Anderson films. The story is is crazy, and it works really well. I'm not going to spoil anything, obviously, because I want you to go in and experience it all for the first time. Um... But it's all, it's really, really good. The performances are great. The writing is great. Um, the cinematography is gorgeous. The the production design feel like it does on every Wes Anderson film. It feels so, like, fake and overproduced and over-stylized that it just, it feels like you're watching something completely out of this world. And it makes complete sense for Asteroid City. It works so wonderfully. The music is great. Jeff Goldblum is a highlight. Look forward to that when it starts. And um, yeah, the whole film is great. It's about it, but you know, the thing that I didn't like about the French Dispatch is the fact that they it was just lots of little stories. I didn't have time to get invested in them. And Asteroid City is still lots of little stories, but they're all connected by this one thing, and it's this quarantine that they're all placed under, and all the stories relate to one another. And the kind of central... Uh, few characters of this uh you know it's a family who've recently lost the mum and it's the grief of going through that surrounded by all of these different things and it's so it's such an interesting watch and I was really gripped by it and um I, I really don't want to say much more because I want you to go in like as blind as you can do because it was such a treat and I was so happy that I felt that way because it's filled me with hope that I can go back and rewatch Wes Anderson's films and not be bored by them. And the French Dispatch was just, for some reason, a, a, a lone flop for me. Um, yeah, but I loved, I loved Asteroid City. So I'm curious about my thoughts on on what the French uh, about Asteroid City. Yeah, I uh, think Wes Anderson in general, it, it, Wes Anderson in general is like you either like all of his films or you don't he's not really a director who's like oh i like grand budapest hotel but i didn't like this one and i like that one but i didn't like this one so i was really confused by the fact that i didn't like the french dispatch and that's why i've been so worried to rewatch any of his other films and why i wasn't looking forward to this one but um this one did surprise me it's a really fu- it's really funny it's really engaging and um yeah i loved it i will give it a nine out of ten yeah and my um, man of the match will be. Ooh, that is a very, very good question. Who will my man of the match be? Let's have a look. 
there's so I mean I kind of want to say Wes Anderson but I don't want to either so I'm going to say it is let me find their name Adam Stockhausen the production designer you know he's done a lot of Wes Anderson films and he's great at what he does creating these very stylized fake feeling worlds it's mm. it's great so that's my that's my man of the match okay we do need to go quite, we do need to go a lot quicker or sad or add okay um next up we are looking at the flash this film finally came out this film actually happened um this was it did that's crazy Andy machete who is doing the batman film that's coming out in the dceu uh, it's now being confirmed. Uh, and it stars Ezra Miller, Sasha Kelly, I think it is, Michael Keaton, Michael Shannon, and others. Um, so, this film, which has been delayed and in production hell for ages, and <laughs> looked like it wasn't going to get released after Ezra Miller got arrested for some doing, doing some things, but, you know, now they're, they're just back on the red carpet for some reason. The Flash features um, a... The Flash, after the end of Justice League, is kind of left ambiguous which version of Justice League actually happens. Um, but Barry Allen is going about his business and he decides, maybe I should save my mum that's dead. So he runs really, really fast and he goes faster than light and he goes back in time. And then it turns out uh, that him doing that ends up with him going to a different universe and he goes to a different universe and there's no superheroes. So he meets himself, and then he also meets Michael Keaton's Batman, and they have to go fight Michael Shannon from the from the from the the Henry Cavill Superman film, and also Supergirl is there, and yeah, and it doesn't go well. That's basically the film. Um, after you know when the film the film did not have a lot of hype going to it after the production hell and all the problems with Ezra. It, it got a screen testing. It was then labelled as perhaps the greatest superhero film ever made. Great, incredibly rave reviews. Um, I have watched this film. This came out a while ago. And is it the best superhero film I've ever seen? Sadly, it just misses out, I'm afraid. Um, I couldn't believe that this was coming out. And now having watched it, I can't believe that this was a film. Um, I, I honestly cannot believe the two hours plus that I wasted watching this absolute dog shite. I when you I saw clips going on Twitter, I couldn't really believe it. And then when you actually sit through it, you think you're we're sitting here in a, here in a film that costs hundreds of millions of pounds. And the CGI is so unbearably bad. He's wearing the CGI suit the whole time. They could have put him in a normal suit. Most superheroes are in normal suits, you know? They decided to put him in the CGI suit and he looks freakish for the entirety of the film. He, every time he's in a suit, he doesn't look in proportion. He doesn't look like a human. It looks it looks like a like early two thousands CGI test. It's awful. The scene where he's the, the scene with him saving the building and he puts the baby in the microwave. It went viral. I'm sure everyone's seen it. That entire ten minute scene. I started thinking, I cannot believe what I'm watching. This is laughably bad. And I understand, you know, it's not a problem with the, the, the CGI uh, artists. They're not given enough money and not enough time. That's something that came out with the Spider-Verse production team as well. 
I understand that the animators, VFX, uh, CGI, everyone involved is getting absolutely fucked over by the industry right now. I understand that. Um, but they shouldn't, DC should never have thought this film was acceptable for release at this level of quality. I mean, it's absolutely awful. The CG, the cinematography was dizzying, confusing, hurt my head. The plot was so contrived and random. Uh, and there's so many just absurd decisions in the filmmaking, like the decision to, the, the weird little world treadmill that he runs onto. Uh, and, you know, he's seeing this like weird kind of um, auditorium. Like, why is this him going back in time? It makes no sense. It looks ugly. The whole film looks ugly. Um, especially because they, they decide to go back to the most visually uninspiring film ever made, Man of Steel. You know, it's the same Man of Steel. It's the same Man of Steel grayness that was the problem in the original film. Um, bringing back Michael Keaton's Batman feels like such a random decision. I don't know why he's in this world. I don't know what he's doing. He, Tim, taking Tim Burton away from Tim Burton's Batman surprisingly just leaves you with Batman. He doesn't feel like any specific version. He doesn't feel like Michael Keaton. They throw in his back car. They throw in the back cave. You kind of see that they maybe wasted maybe ten million that they should have spent on on actually making good CGI on making a. Oh my god! Have you look at this black cave? Oh my god! Look at the black cave from the nine film. Oh my god, that there's wasted their money just making it like a nostalgia fest. Um, yeah, he doesn't have any distinguishing characters or traits of his Batman. Uh, the Supergirl just comes out of nowhere. She's probably one of the most positive things about the film. I think she's quite, she, you know, her character's fiery. Her character's interesting, uh, and I thought the performances were quite good. Uh, that's to say, Sasha Kelly, I think, uh, plays plays Kara Zor-El, a super, Superman's cousin. Um, the a lot of the work that's done throughout this very tedious action feature uh, is undone by the decision to just kind of give it all up in the last half an hour. Makes makes you think, you know, why was I wasting all my time with this nonsense? Um, it doesn't feel like you. I've essentially learned much about Ezra. Or sorry, it doesn't really feel like I've learned much about Barry Allen. Sorry, um, it doesn't really feel like the journey is worth it. it kind of you kind of come out, come back in a big circle in the end anyway. Um, it, it, you know, having Keaton in it doesn't really feel like it was, you know, just like the big name or anything. And it's been much described on Twitter, much discussed on Twitter. Uh, but the ending scenes where, or late on the film, where you have these multiversal um, flashbacks to George Reeves' Superman, to, to Chris Reeves' Superman, to Adam West's Batman, to Nicolas Cage's Batman, uh, Superman, to, is there anything else in there? Uh, maybe... I can't remember. Is there anything else? Yeah, there might be. There might be one more. I'm not sure. But um, I will say, I think I like Nicholas Cage as Superman. That's cool. Um, you know, initially, apparently, they got him in there in real life. He looks completely CGI. Apparently, he was there, really there. Um, a nice little nod to Superman Lives. Obviously, a film that didn't come out in real life uh, that was supposed to. Tim Burton one. Uh, having him, you know, fight out the big fight from that film in there. I thought that's a nice touch. It's interesting. It's especially Nicholas Cage is on board. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. But then the rest of them, you know, Krista Reeves is, has been dead for years. You know, who's given permission of that? You know, maybe his family. Uh, it doesn't feel necessary to what it just feels like, again, kind of like you're, you're gazing at a corpse. It just feels a little bit um, morbid. Uh, and the decisions include George Reeves, someone who has no next of kin or immediate family that could have agreed to him to be in the film, someone that killed himself partly due to the fact that he felt typecast as Superman in his life. The idea that he is now super, he is now typecast as Superman 
even in death, even 60, 70 years, you know, past him playing it, he's still typecast as Superman forever. I think that's quite a sad, quite a morbid thought, uh, and one they really should have considered more before they decided to put it out. Um, yeah, in total, the film is is ugly, confusing. The plot is ugly. Uh, the the CGI is pathetic. Uh, the performances are average at best. I'll say that I think Sasha Kelly is a strong point. I thought Keaton again, the character shouldn't be there. I don't know what he's doing there, but Keaton, you know, he at least he seems to be trying to a degree. Um, Ezra is mediocre. Uh, not awful, not not amazing. The humor is so childish. The humor is so pathetic, but it is paced well, and that some of the fight scenes, especially later on, are quite fun. Uh, that's the only positives I'll give it really. But overall, it is just so not worth watching. Uh, and again, so much build up for for so little. Uh, so I'm thinking wow. I'd probably be giving this film. I agree two, with virtually everything that you've said. Uh, I sorry, agree I mean, with virtually everything I mean, that you've said marks, there. The CGI is terrible. The CGI is some of the worst CGI I've ever seen in a big blockbuster. It's so bad, in fact, that it almost circles round to being an interesting stylistic choice to have everything look animated. It's genuinely horrific CGI. It's t absolutely terrible. They they do they look completely animated at times like not even bad cgi genuinely they look like cartoons um which is crazy and i agree about michael keaton the reason you know batman is inherently quite silly you know the idea that a grown man dresses up as a bat to fight crime is inherently quite silly and i think tim burton understood understood that completely which is why the Burton Batman films are very silly and ridiculous and over the top and quite camp. So when you take that, when you pluck Batman out of a very hyper stylized, ridiculous world and drop him into the gritty real world of the current DC universe, it doesn't work. And it doesn't work in this, especially with like a 60, 70 year old Batman. Um, it just looks a bit silly. And yeah, I agree with virtually everything you said. So there's not much more point in me repeating after you. Um, that being said, I had fun. I enjoyed it. I I had fun. I did. And I can't I can't deny myself the pleasure of watching The Flash. I did enjoy seeing it. I think the performances are, are okay. Sasha Kell or whatever she's called, I think she was probably the highlight as a Supergirl. Um, yeah. But I did, I just I just enjoyed myself. It was fun. And I enjoyed it. Ezra Miller's performance was, it was very childish. And they're not very good at the balancing the comedy and the drama. But they're good at comedy and they're good at drama. But doing them both at the same time in the same performance, they kind of, it seemed that they were struggling with it a little bit. Um, so I thought their performance was just a bit annoying at times. Which was kind of their whole character design of Barry Allen um, but it was just, it was annoying for the audience as well, so yeah, I agree with everything you said about bringing back the old mm -hmm. Superman people I mean, the reason Nicolas Cage in this, is in this is, is insane general audiences who don't keep up with cancelled Superman projects from yeah. 30 years ago will be sat there like, what the fuck? I think that the, I again, it's the only 
It's the only yeah. one I have an issue with, even though they use ridiculously <laughs> trying to make him look like he's made out of um, kind of melting butter. Um, I, I think the idea of him like being willing to do it and like and and him being okay with it and it's showing a scene that we didn't see from a kind of uh, yeah. like a mystical film that kind of is, exists out there in the ether kind of thing. I think that, that that's a cool insight and that's kind of the, the kind of nostalgia and the kind of little Easter eggs we should be getting and kind of less of the <laughs> of the kind of um, whatever Marvel are doing basically. Um, yeah, but yeah, the rest basically do more of that and do less <laughs> yeah, of everything else you did in but yeah, the I did before and after what you showed us there. Yeah, like it, yeah. the worst example of it. But is yeah, the, I, as much as I did enjoy myself, I do agree with every negative thing that you raised. Yeah. So I'm going to give this a four out of ten. Oh god. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. My man of the match is probably going to be. Um, I guess it's probably got to be that that's that girl that plays Supergirl. Um, yeah. Sasha Kell, I think. Sasha. Yeah. Dale, what was yeah. her name? Sasha Kell. Yeah, Sasha Kelly. Sasha Kelly. Sasha Kell. Yeah. I mean, Danny Elfman did, he the, did, that is did true. the theme for Batman when he came on, you know, because it's like the original could, theme. yeah. So I guess technically I could say Danny Elfman. But that would be a bit harsh, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Sasha Sasha Cali or Sasha Cal, uh, who plays Supergirl, yeah. who I'd like to see come back in more. I'm gonna say the same. DCU Sasha stuff, Cal so, yeah, is my, do, do my that. match as um, well. James Gunn. Okay, dope. Um, uh, I watched Kunk on Earth, which is a mockumentary TV series uh, written by Charlie Brooker and starring Diane Morgan, who plays the titular Philomena Kunk, um, who goes around the world looking uh, through human history in a series of five episodes um, that start from the beginnings of man itself, going through to the Renaissance, going through to modern world. Uh, and it features her um, interviewing people, kind of allergy style, uh, and kind of acting the fool, playing the fool, um, and um, asking them you know, very stupid questions um, to very smart people. It initially came out last year on BBC Two, but then it was dropped recently um, on Netflix after Netflix purchased it after it got very uh, viral on TikTok. But yeah, you know, it's known for the, the the viral clip, for example, that I think everyone saw was uh, her asking. I think I um, think did you is know it, word for word what is she says? talking about the culturally significant bit about, when she says, "What was more culturally significant, the Renaissance yeah, yeah. or Single Ladies by Beyonce?" Exactly. Yeah. That section and no other sections have been going viral on, on TikTok. Uh, I love it. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Um, the fact that she manages to keep a straight, straight face at some of these things is uh, very, very impressive. Yes. Um, the frequent yeah. callbacks to pump up the jam is always appreciated. Uh, it's a very British sense of humour. Um, I appreciate her, you know, her other stuff, she's done Britain uh, and Charlie Brooker's show. Um, yeah. I, yeah, just, I just love it. It's you know, super deadpan, super sarcastic. Um, very nice sense of humour, um, and yeah, you know it's uh, and also I'm a history nerd as well, so it's even seeing that in the in a comedic sense is always fun. So um, yeah, definitely nice. it all. Um, it's on Netflix now in the UK and the US. Next, <laughs> next up we have. I am. Next up, you're doing. I will. Indiana um, Jones. It's a shame that you haven't seen it. I would it. love to have seen it. I haven't seen it. 
Well, I uh, I didn't yeah, have I high hopes going into TV this one, and um, I'm glad I didn't because I didn't like Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Kind of like what I was saying earlier about the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It's Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is bad, but it has Spielberg to fall back on every now and again. Spielberg reminds you that he's directing this, and there's a bit of Spielberg magic going on. This doesn't have that. Like, James Mangold is great, but he's no Spielberg. So there's no moments that, you know, this film doesn't have Spielberg. It doesn't have the fact that it's made by one of the greatest filmmakers of all time making it to fall back on. So it's not very good. It opens with um, a segment that's actually, it's quite a good, like, bit. It's well written and it's, you know, it would work. If it weren't a horrible digitally de-aged Harrison Ford doing it, I don't even think it was a digitally de-aged Harrison Ford because uh, I saw the behind the scenes photos and it was a stuntman in a Harrison Ford mask and then they animated on top of the mask. So I think it's like a completely animated face um, and it looks terrible. It genuinely looks like it's out of a game. It's horrific. Um... Yeah, I just please stop doing it. In Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, they recast Indiana Jones for the young sections as River Phoenix, and it was great, and it was one of the most inspired castings ever. And we could have had another one of those, but we didn't. They just used de-aging, which is really annoying. Um, the script is, is okay. It's quite lazy at times, but there are a few interesting moments, a few chuckle-worthy moments. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a highlight. I think she's a great addition to this universe. And she would, um, you know, I hope that they just don't make any more. But if they did, I think I'd be happy for her to lead them. She's great. You know, this, it wasn't a passing the torch film, but I think we don't need any more Indiana Jones. We can just, I'd quite, I'd like to watch like the adventures of Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character and all that. Um, The cinematography was very dull and bland. Um, The direction was, you know, standard mediocre stuff. Um, it's very much kind of how I feel about Marvel films at the moment in that it's, it's just, it's not very good. It's the bits that aren't terrible are just like acceptable. They're just like the director went, that'll do. And they had a very, that'll do attitude with it. Like, what's the point in making it incredible? Let's just do it as, you know, as good as it needs to be to get someone to buy a ticket. Um, however, there is a, a really wild turn that happens in the third act of this film that they've somehow kept a secret. Uh, it's not in any of the trailers. There's nothing that gives it away. I won't spoil it, don't worry. Um, I had no idea. And it is really bizarre. And I respect the big swing that it takes. Um, doesn't necessarily make it good or any better, but it's still, you know, I respect the swing. I respect the big swing, even if it missed. It was a big swing. Um, so, yeah, wasn't a huge fan of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It's my least favourite Indiana Jones film. Um, and I do love the other ones. Well, I love the first three. Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls, okay. Not as bad as I remember it. But this one is is not great. Mads Mikkelsen is a very dull, very typical villain. I think the good thing about the first for Indiana Jones films is that they did such a wonderful job of creating really hate easily villains that are really easy to hate um, and they always get a very satisfying death uh, the villains in this one are not quite as easy to hate you, I mean they are you do hate them they're fucking Nazis but they're not like 
annoying, if that makes sense. Like in the original ones, the villains are very annoying that, that like they irritate you. In this one, they're not quite like that, and their the, their deaths aren't as satisfying as well. Um, but yeah, it was it was okay. It had a few moments where it was good, and Indiana Jones shone through. Harrison, Harrison Ford's performance is great, but um, but yeah, it's not very good to be honest. VFX are bad as well. I would probably give it out of ten a four and a half, five. Yeah, it's bad as well. Okay. It yeah. is, but that's how I feel. That's uh, that's quite harsh. Yeah. I'm still interested in seeing it. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not actually mad for Indiana Jones in general, to be honest. I think Raiders of the Lost great. Yeah. Um, but, I don't know, not massive on the others, to be honest. It's true. But I'll, still really, I'll be happy to give it a try, a try especially because it's got Harrison Ford in it, you know. Talking about films that I watched uh, purely yes. because of a single star in the film. Jake. No Hard Feelings, the 2023 rom-com. So it's by Gene Stupinski, starring J-Law and Andrew Barth Feldman. It's a rom-com which is featured around the, or, or geared around the concept of a concerned group, uh, set of parents um, that hire someone to date their son who they're worried is too shy and doesn't and lacks confidence so they hire someone to to date their son in exchange for a car uh the person that accepts this offer is a 40 year old woman played by jennifer lawrence who is struggling uh financially um and the, um, the two unlikely couple form an unlikely bond um and uh yeah and and more hijinks. Things more ensue, hijinks. you know, conflict ensues. Um, this feels like more hijinks. J-Law returned, of course, yes. to films uh, last year with Don't Look Up. Um, but this feels like the first um, big film of her uh, leading uh, since, uh, especially seeing as Causeway, which she was in, was more of an indie release. This is her kind of returning as the face of a big box office yeah. picture. And um, and it's been received uh, decently well. It's done a decent work at the box office for the start of the film. Um, I think No Hard Feelings was a, a wonderful return to a genre which is slowly dying. Um, you know, I, I actually do love a rom-com. I've got a massive soft spot for them. Um, and No Hard Feelings gave me that. I wish it kind of gave me a little bit more rom than it gave me because it was very big on the com. This is a very funny film. Um Perhaps lacking a little bit of romance, yeah. I think, uh, especially with the ages of the characters. You know, you, you have the to be woke slightly, left ruining uh, comedy these days, especially. You have to be slightly um, apprehensive. Of course, they yeah, of course they still do go down those avenues at times. This is not an inoffensive film, uh, you know, in all in all ways. But you know, um, I thought the, the the two stars did have a lot of chemistry. I really did enjoy Andrew Barth Feldman's performance of this awkward per- Percy character. Uh, I thought he yes. did that very well. I thought all the performances of the film were great. I thought Matthew Broderick was great as the dad. Uh, and I thought J-Law, you know, J-Law, it's, it's not a, a secret. J-Law is, is, is one of my, my favourite actors, probably my, maybe my favourite actress, um, and always has been uh, since I was a kid. You know, I've always had uh, <laughs> an infatuation, perhaps, you know, her and David Tennant, you know, main two. Um and I'll watch anything that has Jennifer Lawrence in, as simple as. Um, 
and yeah, I'm happy I got my dose of J Law. She was wonderful. The film was wonderful. I just love rom coms. I love these mid budget films. Uh, I really want to to come back. Obviously, that Ticket George Clooney, uh, Julia Roberts had uh, that one yeah. that came out earlier, uh, last, earlier in this year. Ticket to Paradise again, strong, strong return to cinemas for the rom com genre. Um, I hope more of these kind of films get made because I just I, I can gobble them up. Honestly, it's like similar to my thing with the English, um, you know, underdog stories. Uh, this is just my yeah. I completely man. agree. I love a good rom com. Yeah, just, just no feelings. So is, much fun. Like you say, great re- return to form. It's a nice R-rated comedy. There's a like there isn't a lot of rom. I would have liked a bit more rom. I agree. Maybe not between the two main characters, but maybe they could have introduced a third party that something throws some spanner in the works. But I did want more rom. But yeah, I thought it was good. The chemistry they had was great. The writing was great. The performances were great. Jennifer Lawrence's absolutely fabulous i agree with the get basically everything you said so there's no need in repeating ourselves but yeah i agree one of my concerns i guess would say is that i think it maybe felt a little rushed at points you know it didn't feel like there was enough of that big conflict it felt like it resolved very quickly I might would like to have seen a little bit more time of them working, of, you know, them a bit more conflict and then working their way back. It all kind of felt like the last kind of 20 minutes were kind of, uh, I say, a little bit kind of condensed. Yeah, I'd probably um, agree with that. That's the only real issue I thought I had with the film myself. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty solid. Um, I'll yeah. give it. I'll give it an eight. If you like the genre, go watch it. I'll give it a seven and a half, maybe an eight out of ten. Seven and a half. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Man, that's Jennifer Lawrence, easily. She's the funniest thing about the film, strongest performance, uh, and she's the, the drive behind it. That's why anyone goes to watch this film. You know, I see, I saw someone tweet the other day, uh, working cinema, and um, and like most people yeah. have asked for the Jennifer she Lawrence is. film. She is. You know, she is a bona fide star, a household name. Yeah. Um, nice. Next up uh, is our last film of the day. I could finally get over this uh, thing over and done with. I filmed that only you have seen, which is Pixar's yeah, newest release. I think which, time of recording uh, it comes out the day after about tomorrow. The time this comes out. So exciting. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, Pixar's ago, Elemental, a concept that didn't really intrigue me. It feels very much like a parody of Pixar. You know, they're famous for doing what if blank had emotions. <laughs> And um, this what one is, seems like it's so basic, just like the elements, elements don't mix. It feels very like, could you not have thought of a more interesting way to do that? But it actually works very well. It's a it's a really nice story about a, an immigrant family moving into a city and a, about gentrification as well, which I didn't expect Pixar to tackle, but they did, and about racism and the struggles that immigrant families and and children of immigrants face um it, it as usual because it's pixar it goes without say the animation is beautiful it's really stunning you know the water the this obviously it's about elements so the water and the fire and everything like that whenever they mix whenever they cross paths um it's great but they also have their own little sections that they all look very different and work in their own different ways um yeah, it's a nice story. The characters are, are fun. The uh, voice acting is great. Um, yeah, I'm really struggling for more to say about it, to be honest, um, without getting into like big spoilers. But yeah, 
Pixar's Elemental is is good. I've seen a lot of people saying that Pixar is falling off recently. I don't think it's that it's falling off necessarily. I just think, A, Pixar's early films were so good that we kind of hold them to a much higher standard than every other animation studio. Like, I feel like if DreamWorks released... Um, Elemental people will be like best DreamWorks movie in years, best DreamWorks movie, best DreamWorks movie in years. Um, but we hold Pixar to an impossible standard, really. Um, and also, I think as well, another reason that people have been thinking Pixar has fallen off is quite simply because when Toy Story came out, you were a child, and that's a film for children. You're now in your thirties, and this film is for children. So obviously it's not going to appeal to you in the same way that Toy Story does. This new film that's designed for children is not going to mean the same to you that a film that came out when you were a kid means to you. Obviously, it doesn't mean they're falling off. It just means that they're changing and you've grown up. You're Mm. now an adult watching a children's film rather than a child watching and getting attached to a children's film. There's nothing wrong with watching a children's film. Pixar have always made films that are for everyone. Um... But yeah, Elemental's great. It's a great... Um, it, it's a shame that this is the first one that went to cinemas. Turning Red and uh, Luca should have been in the cinema as well. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, I really enjoyed Elemental. It's a fab little story. It's a cute little story that I think deserves a lot better than the box office results that it's getting. It, it deserves to be a very popular film. It deserves to be one of the films of the summer. Um, so yeah, I would give it. Yeah, especially the Flash. Doing, the Flash is the biggest flop ever. Bad at the box office right now. Uh, is that a concern? Yeah, is this a concern for us as film fans? I don't think so because there's, for every flop, there's something that shocks people. Like Indiana Jones is a massive flop. The Flash is a massive flop. Elemental is a massive flop, but No Hard Feelings is one of the highest grossing R-rated comedies in recent memory. Asteroid City had the highest opening weekend of any Wes Anderson film ever. Um, The Little Mermaid is um, slowly climbing towards a billion. It's probably not going to get to a billion, but it's in the late hundred millions. Um, Spider-Verse is doing exceptionally well. Um, So yeah, I don't think it's all doom and gloom, but it's definitely not as optimistic as it could be. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I think that's 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 fair to be honest. I also think that there's like, especially because we've got Barbie, Oppenheimer, and um, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning all coming out. Oh yeah, they time. will be like, very successful. I would be surprised if any of those, if like all of those, will make a profit. Um, yeah, we actually have very little coming yeah. out right now. Like the biggest thing that's coming out this weekend, you've just. just You've just reviewed Elemental. Yeah. So, um, see you in a couple not, of months. Not like we're releasing episode <laughs> next week as well, let's be honest here. Um, I hope but, um, so, yeah. I, I hope that we do it soon. Probably be Barbie, Barbie Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer. Knowing us, I imagine. We have to do just Barbie we're and Oppenheimer gonna, in one episode. We, yeah, we have to do that. We have to do that. Yeah, I promise Barbie and Oppenheimer will be done within. Before the end of July, we will have a Barbenheimer episode. I promise that. I promise that. You hold him to that, listeners. Oh, right, hold him to on that. The timeline. Okay. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. <laughs> That's a cry. Like you can post news on Twitter. But I'll do something embarrassing. 
We will hold you accountable before the end of July, not just really more generally. I am going. I am going to intentionally delay um, the if recording I saw you of the Barbenheimer podcast. I'd probably beat you up. <laughs> really, wow. I'm just going to replace the far Jordan better, younger, and more attractive first. <laughs> he's not old. He's older than me. He's he's yeah. not younger than me. Um, he is. Yeah, Jordan McDonald. <laughs> he's older than you. That's disgusting. Um. I'm going to review it next week. If anyone's made it this far in the podcast, um, I'm going to review it next week. So, you know, hear about it then. Um, but if you made it this far, I, I would like to everyone to, I'd like a personal plea. I'd like, um, I think this is insider trading. But anyway, uh, I would like everyone to go out and watch um, the film Makeup. It's just been released. It's out on, you can buy it on YouTube. You can buy it on Apple TV. You can you know, buy it on your video on demand platforms. Um, I think it's going to be released later on on Amazon Prime. I'm not sure about that. Um, but my a very close friend of mine's oh, cousin nice. made it, and uh, I'm going to be reviewing it on the podcast next week. Um, and yeah, and, and my friend was a, a executive oh, producer or a, cool. a production assistant, I believe, on the film. Um, so so shout out shout out to to Hugo Andre who has directed makeup. Sorry. Shout out to Sophia, my friend. Um, and yeah, we'll be reviewing it next week. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to get. Um, yeah. A conversation with me and, and the director up at some point, but yeah, everyone check that out. We are done. Um, yeah, okay, that's everything. Uh, we'll see you next time, which will probably be Barbenheimer. Yeah. I'd love for it to be something else before Barbenheimer, I'd be very proud of us then. Um, <laughs> but you know, we have been talking about doing a doctor episode for over a year and Stanley Kubrick episode for over a year now, so um, do I trust us to, to make any promises, uh, to, to fulfill any promises of extra episodes? Probably not. Okay. Thank you very much for listening, guys. That was a bit of a waffly episode, but, you know, we had to get back into form after a bit of time out. Um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, <laughs> the, I can't remember how to do the outro now. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at NowShowingPod, and you can find us individually at Sam H Media and LewisJWR. You can find us on Letterboxd as well at Sam Houston and LewisJWR, respectively. Um, if you like the podcast, the best thing to do is to tell us to your friends about uh, the Magos. That's the best way to, 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 to get it spread around. Um, other than that, the best thing you can do is to give us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify or anywhere you listen to your podcast, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to it. Give us a five-star rating. It helps us go out of the rankings. helps us get bigger. We appreciate it. Um, I think that's pretty much all it. Thank uh, you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.